Good morning and thanks for joining us today. We're starting a new series this weekend called God and Me. And for the next several weeks, we'll be talking about the ways in which God shapes and forms our identity. So we all have an identity. We all have a way of uniquely distinguishing ourselves from the rest of the world. We already have an identity. But God, in a way, shapes and forms this in our journey of faith. Now imagine this for a moment. Let's say you and I were sitting down for a cup of coffee or maybe a cup of tea, and we had a chance to meet each other for the first time. What would you tell me about yourself, about your identity? Think about that just for a moment. What are the things that you typically share with other people about yourself? Now, if it were my turn, I would say a couple of things about my identity. My name is Ted. I'm the lead pastor of Access. It's a church we started back in 2007. Uh, I'm originally from California, but I've been a Texan now for over 20 years. I'm married to Amy, and the two of us have been married over 24 years. We have two teenage daughters who are doing online school right now. And uh, recently, over the summer, we adopted a pet dog. Uh, he is a Labrador mix. His name is Jax. And fun fact, the five of us all have three-letter names. Now, that's a way of me introducing myself to you. And I have just shared with you bits and pieces of my identity, my name, where I am from, because that gives us a sense of belonging, my relationships and who I'm connected to. Uh, and I shared specifically that I was once a Californian, I still am in many ways, and that has shaped part of my likes and my dislikes. I absolutely love the beach. I can uh, spend a day at the beach and in the sand and in the ocean and be completely happy. Uh, but I'm also a Texan and living here 20 years in Houston uh, has taught me a thing or two about being hospitable. I'd say the quality of friendships in Texas and the love of community that we have is definitely a step higher than Californians have. But I share all these things to let you know that identity can be shaped and formed over time. I was once a Californian, now I'm a Texan. And there are different aspects of our identity that can change even though we are the same person over time. One of the more frustrating and sometimes dangerous things that can happen these days is the problem of stolen identity. When someone takes on bits and pieces of information from your life and pretends to be you, impersonates you to, to do something wrong. You know, years ago, I got a phone call. It was from a credit agency. And apparently somebody in California had impersonated me, opened up a credit card and charged thousands in my name and left me with the bill. And the frustrating thing was that for months, it took me months to settle this. I had to file a police report. I had to clear my name. I had to write to the credit card agencies, the credit agencies to let them know that this uh, this card was false, um, and I had to keep a watch on a number of my uh, financial statements to make sure that I wasn't being fooled again. But the thing is this, there's nothing good from us pretending to be something else or to be someone else. 
If I pretended to be you, that wouldn't be right. And if you pretended to me, that wouldn't be right either. I mean, I can think of some practical jokes, but honestly, there's really nothing good that comes from us impersonating other people. When you become a Christian, you enter into a process of identity formation under the wisdom and the love of God. When you begin following Jesus and follow his way, it's not just about taking on more stuff to do for God. It is about becoming who you were always meant to be. You are becoming more authentically yourself, and I am becoming more authentically myself. It doesn't mean that you stop becoming you. You are just more authentically yourself. And nobody knows how to do that better than God, who is the creator of your soul. So we're going to get into the details of that through this series. But for today, as we introduce things, we're going to answer two questions, and then we're going to conclude with a prayer to launch into this series. But the two questions are this. First of all, what is this all about? What is identity formation? And we're going to dive into our central text that will give us the guidance for the next several weeks. We're also going to be talking about why this is so important. Why are we talking about this right now? And we're going to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 through 21. This is part of Paul's letter to the early Christian church in Corinth. Let's do some work in the text to get our foundation. So, 2 Corinthians. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There are three concepts in this passage that I want to spend some time looking through. And the first is this. There is something that we might consider the worldly point of view. And Paul is urging the church, don't see people simply from the perspective of the world. Take on the perspective of God. Take on God's eyes and his vision for how to see people and for how to see yourself. Now, this is not a very culturally sensitive thing to say right now because it's very popular for us to say that there are many perspectives in life and they're all equally valid or they're all right. But what Paul is actually warning us of is this. There are some perspectives that are actually very unhealthy and to adopt those or to live by that way of seeing things is not good for your soul. It's not good in the eyes of God. In the Gospel of Luke, we have an example of this. So one day, this Pharisee named Simon invites Jesus over for dinner. 
He invites them to recline, and that's the way they ate back in the day. They reclined at a table. And a woman came up behind Jesus. She had this alabaster jar of perfume. She begins to weep over his feet, wipe them clean with her hair, and then begins to anoint him with this perfume. And there are two perspectives that are going on in this story. And the first is the perspective, the worldly perspective of the Pharisees, of Simon and his friends who are at the table. And as they look and they see this woman, they see a sinner. And they begin to question in their mind, what is Jesus doing? If he were truly from God, he would know the difference. He would not let this woman touch him. They begin to doubt who he is and really second guess what he is trying to say. And Jesus comes back with this teaching moment. And he says, in, as is recorded in Luke, He turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? It's an interesting question because obviously Simon sees her with his eyes, but he doesn't see what God has presented before him. She is not only a sinner, she is a woman in need of God's redemption and grace. She is a woman on a journey toward wholeness. She loves God and God loves her. The point that we're picking up here in terms of identity formation is this. Identity formation is about taking on the perspective of God and in a sense rejecting the worldly perspective. It is about taking on a new way of looking at things Things that we have even made up our minds about. Things that we, are, that we think we already know about. But inviting God to say, what do you see? And what do I need to see in this situation or in this person or in my own life that I haven't considered before? The second idea to grab onto here in this passage is the idea of new creation. In Christ, I am a new creation. The narrative of scripture begins with the story of God creating the universe. God speaks and the universe leaps into being. He breathes life into dust and creates humanity. Human beings are uniquely created in the image of God. They are set forth to care for the creation and to make something of it. But early on in the human story, we rebelled against God. And when we rebelled against God, and when it went against His way, this act was called sin. Sin wasn't just doing something bad. It was a corruption within the human heart that began to change and transform us for the worse. And sin leads us to death. So instead of loving our neighbors, we learn to hate and to kill and destroy. Instead of living generously, we learn to become selfish and self-centered. Instead of caring for our world, we began to abuse it. God didn't give up on humanity. He launched a plan of salvation and redemption, and this reached its fulfillment in Jesus Christ, God's own Son. God sent His Son, Jesus, to take on the problems of sin and death. And the promise of God is this, and if anyone believes in Jesus, New life is available. Jesus went to the cross on our behalf to take on sin and shame and to die for us. 
And on the third day, God raised him from the dead. This was the beginning of God's new creation work. And anyone who is found in Christ is also a part of this new creation work. Now, what does this have to do with identity formation? You and I have grown up in a world that is broken and is fallen and is mired in sin and death. And we have a tendency to latch onto things that form our identity around things that are false, that things that won't last, things that are not true. And what God graciously needs to do is to take apart some of these false ways of living, this false identity, and bring us back to who we truly are. Now, there's a ritual within the church that reminds us of this, a sacrament. It's called baptism. And in baptism, a person goes down into the waters. And it symbolizes the act is reliving a death to our old self. And coming out of the water signifies our new life in Christ. We are part of new creation with God. The third concept to share here is this idea of being an ambassador of God. An ambassador of this ministry of reconciliation is I take on this new perspective of God and reject the world's perspective as I am more a part of this new creation work of Jesus Christ. I am now given the ministry of reconciliation. God wants more people to know about the saving work of Jesus and he sends you and me to share it with other people. And as you become more you, and as I become more me, we have a deeper sense of integrity with which we can share God's message. It's not just a message aimed at other people. It's a message that has first transformed my heart, and I can share it out of love and a hope that it will transform your heart as well. Now, if all this talk about identity formation is a bit abstract to you and it feels a bit foreign, it's sometimes helpful to get a new perspective on things. And that's what C.S. Lewis gives us in some of his children's stories. He tells about the story of Eustace, who's a boy who makes some very poor decisions in life. And because of these poor decisions, he becomes a dragon. Now, he doesn't realize this transformation has taken place until one day he looks in a pool of water and he realizes what he's become. So in desperation, he begins to tear at his own skin to try and undo this ugly transformation. A few scales come off, but it's hardly the case that he can become a boy again. He's pretty much stuck. Then enters into the story. Aslan the Great Lion. Now, Aslan is the Christ figure in C.S. Lewis's stories. And this is the recounting of Eustace telling about his encounter with Aslan. I was afraid of his claws, I can tell you, but I was pretty nearly desperate now. So I just lay flat down on my back and let him do it. The very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. 
Well, he peeled the beastly stuff right off, just as I thought I'd done it myself the other three times. Only they hadn't hurt. And there it was, lying on the grass, only ever so much thicker and darker and more knobbly looking than the others had been. And there was I, as smooth and soft. Then he caught hold of me. He threw me into the water. It smarted like anything, but only for a moment. And after that, I became, it became perfectly delicious. And as soon as I started swimming and splashing, I found that all the pain had gone from my arm. And then I saw why. I turned into a boy again. After a bit, the lion took me out and dressed me with his paw in these new clothes I'm wearing. I love this passage from uh, literature, and it just gives us a fresh way of seeing what identity formation can be like under the wisdom and under the loving care of God. Our second big question for today is, why are we doing this? Why is this important and why are we talking about this topic right now? I'd like to offer three thoughts here. And the first is related, of course, to the pandemic. You see, the pandemic has not only brought about a virus that is a hazard to human health, it has brought about the loss of many things that we hold dear. Many things that are that have given us a sense of value and worth. For many of us, it has meant the stripping away of things that we have held on to for our sense of identity. Back in the summer, there's an article in Click2 Houston that talked about this very dynamic. The title of the article was, If losing your job to the pandemic destroyed your identity, here's how to find it. And let me read a few things from the article. If I am not, insert job title here, then who am I? This is a type of question that adults are asking themselves as they struggle through the darkness of losing a job to the pandemic. Some never realized how tied their identities were to their careers until they lost them. They feel lost mentally and emotionally as if they've experienced, if they're experiencing a bad breakup. The present is surreal, the future is uncertain, and they're unsure how to define themselves. Krista Black, a freelance copywriter from Ashland, Kentucky, said her work shaped her identity. I finally felt like a real writer because after several years of trying, I was actually being paid to do what I enjoyed and was good at, she said. I started to feel less like an artist and more like a professional. But when the pandemic hit, the work faded away. Black's income decreased to little to none. She soon felt that she had lost her identity, that she was no longer a professional, and that she didn't fit in with the creative community from which she had come. The author begins to go on and explain that there's at least three things to do to regain your sense of identity. It includes mourning the loss, uh, finding your core values, and staying connected in community. But what we're doing is we're realizing that there's more to it than this. There's a bigger story to tell. You see, 
our identity formation is not just up to us. As followers of Jesus, we're coming to God with these questions. See, it's not up to you to form your own identity. We are coming to our God, our Creator, who has first made us. And through His wisdom and through His guidance, we are asking Him to take off the dragon scales of our false identity and leading us to our true selves. The next important reason for why we are doing this is because we live in a culture that is deeply invested in the value of image. Image is king. Image is everything. And despite some of the advertising that we hear that says that image is nothing, the truth is image means a ton in this culture. And if you don't have your image right, it seems like you are really operating at a deficit. Now, things like Facebook and Instagram and social media platforms can be very good. They can help us stay connected. But they also have a dark side, and we all know this, because what they do is they accentuate image. And image is not the same as identity and identity formation. In fact, spending too much time in some of those platforms can lead to an unhealthy emphasis on image and image management. Here's what one author and theologian has to say about it. Image is not identity. Image is what we project to others, what we put on display, and it's an, it, and it's an attempt to show how we would like to be seen, which may have little to do with who we really are. Our society spends millions on image and gives little real attention to identity. When tragedy comes and strips away possessions and appearances, who are we then? Or who are we when we really face ourselves without our props? Now, I'm not going to say that image counts for nothing because image is important. God gave us our physical bodies. We have an appearance and taking care of it is part of discipleship. But when we place an undue emphasis on it, it can be harmful. The other day, I was cutting my own hair. So I've, I've regained this skill since the pandemic hit. Um, I used to cut my own hair in college, and it's been a long time since I've done it. But the other day when I was cutting the, um, the back of my hair, the back of my head, I made a divot. And what was my first thought? Thank God it's in the back of my head because whenever I'm on Zoom or preaching, people don't have to see the back of my body. Image does kind of matter. It's almost impossible for us not to worry about th things like that. But what we're doing in this series is this. We're putting our priority and our emphasis on identity formation over and above image management. There's one more reason why this topic is so important. It's because fundamentally this is important to God. God cares deeply about you and who you're becoming. He is deeply interested in who you are. You are important to God. Psalm 139 puts it this way. For you created me in my inmost being. 
You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. God is deeply interested in who you are. God is deeply interested in your life. While you were being knit together in your mother's womb, God was the one doing all of that work. He is interested in you. And we are bringing ourselves before God in this series, and we're asking us to lead, him, lead us to something better. You see, if I am not just my job, God, who am I? If I am not my things, I'm asking, God, who am I? If I am not the image that I need to manage, but I have a self that persists beyond that, what is that? And God, what do you want me to know? about my identity. We're going to conclude today with a prayer. And as the music begins to play, and as you consider these words, I'd like you to take stock and just honestly pray these words to God and invite Him to lead the way. Amen and amen. Let's pray our sending prayer together as we go. Loving God, through all our years, let the church be a community where we learn about love and practice it, where we envision peace and work to build it, where we meet partners in faith who wish to abandon everything that cheapens our discipleship, where we discover gifts and offer them. May your spirit guide us toward joy and generosity, in Jesus' name, in the way of Jesus, amen.